Okay, okay. Good morning. Thank you guys for joining us this morning. As we kind of start back our classes and all the good stuff. I'm going to move my seat so I can kind of see this a little bit. Hey, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your gospel. And Lord, let, let us today, um, as we talk through doctrine, as we talk through your word, Father, that we focus on these things. That we set our mind on these things and that our hearts are expanded. Um, that truthfully, that the hope and the prayer is that we are made smaller as you are made bigger. And so let that be um, our aim today. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the next year, um, we're going to work through really three different kind of uh, focuses. Uh, the first is focus on doctrine, on uh, really the, the foundational things of our faith. And we're going to spend about three months um, on this topic, looking at doctrine of God, man, the church, all kinds of things that are wrapped up in that. I am very excited about that. Then we're going to take, take some time and really look through the doctrine of the Word and how the Word is sufficient, look at the canon of Scripture, how we interpret Scripture, and how we can live Scripture out. And then finally this year, we're going to end looking again at the practices of Jesus. That's uh, private practices, that is communal practice with the people of God, and that's missional practices with those that are outside of the faith that we can learn through this year, doctrine, uh, the Word, and the practices of our faith. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we think about, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Um, that is just the most true statement ever. And here, here's how you, when you know this is most true, is when, um, is when life picks up, when Bad things happen, people get sick, money is tight, people are mad, whatever it might be. Whenever, whenever life gets tight, what you think about God really comes up. And, and I'll just say this, I think one of the reasons this class is so needed is because uh, many times in the church we are growing up not knowing the core foundational elements and, and principles of who God is. And so we must firm up in our minds what those are. And here's why. Psalms 119 says this. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Where does your mind go in the good days and the bad days? Where does our mind go? Literally yesterday in, in my uh, personal devotion, I, I wrote this down. Lord, drift my thoughts, drift my mind, drift my heart towards who you are. But many times there's this idea, this is how I'll say this. We want to withdraw from a bank of knowing who God is that is empty. Does that make sense? There's times that we got to go to that bank and we got to pull out some money because we need to know who he is. But we just, we don't know and we don't meditate on who he is. So before we kind of jump into our topic today, I want to talk to you very quickly, just what is doctrine? Like, if we're talking about doctrine for three months, what is it exactly? What, what does that mean? Uh, Millard Erickson says it like this. Uh, 
Christian doctrine is simply statements of the most fundamental beliefs the Christian has. Beliefs about the nature of God, about his action, about who we are, his creatures, and about what he has done to bring us into relationship with himself. The study of doctrine is known as theology. Literally, theology is the study of God. It is the careful, systematic study, analysis, and statement of Christian doctrine. There is, I will say, this false belief that talking about doctrine is dead, cold, and leads to pride. There is this belief that talking about and learning about the doctrine of who God is leads to like this stuffy faith. Is that possible? Absolutely that's possible. That's absolutely possible. We have seen that many times. So what we've done is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We say, okay, well, this just leads to people being prideful and, and cold and dead. We don't want to be Pharisees. So our answer is to learn nothing about God and his ways. We forget Psalm 119 altogether. We just throw it out. The aim of doctrine is this. It's to know God. It's to know God, not just know about God, but to know God. It's to enlarge our relationship and our heart for Him. I will just tell you, this is my experience, what Scripture says, what I know with other brothers and sisters in Christ. When we, when we learn about God, when we really focus and we know Him, our hearts do change. The renewing of our mind does lead to a changed life. Listen, if the goal is to simply know more about God, you know, Christian jeopardy, if that's the goal, then yes, we will end up with pride. But I'm going to just kind of put this, I don't think that's our aim today. I don't think that's your aim today, to just to be able to answer questions about God. If, if that is your aim, there's a better aim. It's to know God. It's to know the rock, to know the redeemer, to know the creator. It's to know him. That is the aim. See, right doctrine when used correctly, it humbles us. It makes him big and it makes us small. It humbles us, but it also expands us. I love this quote uh, from Packer, J.I. Packer. He says here, but while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ. The most excellent study for expanding the soul, to, to grow our souls, is the science of Christ and Him crucified, and the knowledge of the Godhead and the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. It humbles us, but it also expands us. And I will tell you, friends, two things we desperately need in this world are a bigger view of God to humble us and expand our capacity to go into a lost world. Does that make sense? And that only happens as we know who God is. Well, you know, on your papers, it says additional resources, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Just a phenomenal book. I would encourage all of us to pick it up and let your hearts and your minds be just um, really encouraged. But because we've had this experience of this stuffy, pride-inducing talk about doctrine, we shy away. 
But the effects of doctrineless people are catastrophic. Doctrineless people are catastrophic. Ephesians tells us that those kind of people are tossed to and fro. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And, and I will tell you, there are plenty of false doctrines going around right now about God and about man. And if we as people are not sure in our faith, in the foundations, I'm not talking about like, you know, the things that we do, I'm talking about the foundations of our faith, who God is. If those are not sure, then we're going to be tossed to and fro. No direction. When life hits, we'll have no foundation. We'll have no foundation. So, as we start this journey on doctrine, we start with the most fundamental question. What is God like? What is God like? Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these different attributes of God. Here's what's really cool. My wife and uh, Sarah Brazier are teaching the um, kindergarten and first grade equipping class. And they are walking through the attributes of God. And I had this list, and I'm teaching the next few weeks. So I said, Tracy, let me see your stuff you're teaching this year. And almost word for word, the things that we're learning, our kids are learning right now in that class, which really excites me and let us sound smart when we talk to them about it later on today. Um, So the first thing we're learning today about God is God is real. God is real. Listen, Scripture simply assumes God exists. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created. There's no explanation of like anything. It just simply assumes He exists. We also see in Scripture that we as people, we have this deep awareness that God is real. Paul says this in Romans, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Um, I've been doing these daily walks the past few weeks, um, partially exercise, partially just it's good for my mental health and spiritual health to walk around and pray. And this is going to sound kind of cheesy, so don't laugh at me. As I was walking around, I was kind of amazed at how green the grass was. And then my mind started going like, wow, God created the color green. And I looked at the clouds and I thought about the galaxies and all of this, we know this in our souls, it speaks to something larger, right? This didn't just happen. That is kind of on our souls. Romans one twenty says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. In our souls, we know. In our souls, we know. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And here's the thing, because we know, Paul says here, they are without excuse. So there's this inherent thing in our souls that we know that God is real. See, belief in God is not just blind faith. We see it in the created world. There's order. There's a real God. We have this real, innate soul as human beings that speaks to. It's why we as humans are always asking why. Because God is real, and we know that we were made, and something bigger made us. It's based on evidence we see in the Bible, but also just in the natural world, in creation. We see that God is real. And God being real has 
really big implications. If God is real, then my life is not my own, right? If God is real, then my life is not my own. Then I'm not the supreme authority in life. But God is not just real. God is also knowable. God is knowable. The beauty of the Christian God is that he doesn't just exist. He can be known personally. He can be known personally. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9, 20, 24 says this. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. That he knows me. Now, we're never going to know God, understand or know God fully, right? We are finite and he is, and he is infinite. Psalm 45.3 says this, His greatness is unsearchable. If we could count God's thoughts, they would be greater than the sands of the earth. You know, you've been to the beach, you get all the sand on your feet, and you're like, this is never going to go away. There's just too much stuff here. There's sand upon sand, and this scripture here is saying that his thoughts are more than the sands of the earth. Um, do y'all, I'm a planner. I don't know if y'all are planners or not. Um, and I get proud of my plans sometimes. Like, you know, you go on a vacation and um, you, you plan your itinerary, you plan how much money you're going to spend, you plan where you're going to stay, where you're going to eat, where you're going to go do fun things. You plan all those things and, you, and I do that and I will feel so good about myself, right? But if one thing changes, a flight's delayed, flat tire, kids just in general, um, all those kind of things, my plans go out the window and I'm so stressed. But then there's these moments in my life when I think about just this, think about this, the plans of God. The plans of God. Romans 8 tells us he works all things together for the good of those who love him. My mind cannot begin to comprehend that. That right now in your life, your life, your life, your life, my life, the entire world, he is working things together. His ways are unsearchable. But what's even crazier than that, this, his unsearchable ways, this, this God that is real, we can know him. He desires for us to know him. Now, we know God first through the word. He's revealed through the word. To know God, to, to, to hear from God, we go to his word. We set our mind and our attention on his word. We also know God through the person of Jesus, which we're told is the exact representation of God. So God, his ways are unsearchable, but we can, we can know him. Now, there's some attributes of God that we learn about that we can understand because we share them. That's what they were called communicable attributes such as love knowledge mercy we can understand that because we can also love we can also have knowledge we can also show mercy now they pale in comparison to a perfect holy god but we can understand those because they're like us on some level but god also has attributes that are not like us at all they're called incommunicable attributes things like god is eternal God is omnipresent. God is unchangeable. Things that don't define us at all. 
I can't be everywhere, ever, ever. I'm at one place at one time, always. But we can know this God, and we know him through Jesus and revealed his word. But God is also creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In creation, we see God's lordship on display in his control over everything. So we had staff retreat a few weeks ago, and we played this game where we, uh, we drew things. Um, so like, it's, it's, I can't explain it, but... Uh, just I'm going to tell you this right now, um, my drawings, my, my creations were a bit unreadable. And so the game really became, let's laugh at Jason for about two hours as we played this game. Because everything that, I, Brandon knows, I know, everything I was drawing was literal, just literal garbage. Right? Well, you couldn't tell what it was. My stick figures were like aliens. It was just bad for everybody involved. Because... Uh, me, less than most people, can create nothing. I, ha- I have not one artistic bone in my body. So when we think about the Creator God, this is why we, as people, we must force ourselves to be outside more. We live in this digital world, don't we? That just wants us to just be inside on screens every single day. And that subtly, over time, blinds us to reality, that God is creator, and his creation points to his greatness, which should lead us to worship. There is something we can simply do of walking around God's creation that can lead us to worship the creator God. When we first meet God in Genesis, we don't get a list of attributes. We get an act. We get the act of creation, right? John John Frame says it like this, the term creation applies to both God's original act of bringing being out of nothing and to God's subsequent actions bringing structure to created being. These two phases are sometimes called original and subsequent creation. A good definition of creation, therefore, will embrace both of these. Creation is an act of God alone by which, for his own glory, he brings into existence everything in the universe. Things that had no existence prior to his creative word. Our minds can't fathom that. We just can't. Of him bringing from nothing everything. And then bringing order. The subsequent, crea- the subsequent creation blows our mind. All right, let me keep going here. All right, I got to go. God is also self-sufficient. These last two I want to focus on the most. God is self-sufficient. God's independence means he doesn't actually need us for anything else in creation. He doesn't need us for anything. We were not created because God was lonely and needed our company or our help. God is self-sufficient. Acts 17 The God who made the world and everything in it does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God does not need us, yet he chooses to give us value and worth and responsibility. This is me and uh, my daughter Hattie right now, every single thing, for everything, and it makes me crazy. 
She wants to help with everything. And I love her, but I, I, guys, I'm losing it. Like, I really am. And so y'all might have to step in just for everybody's sake. Because, you know, even this morning, it's like I'm making coffee. And she has to put in the sugar, and she has to stir. She wants to stir. But it is this, as I'm talking right now, it's a beautiful picture of how God uses me. Right? At the very best, I inconvenience God in His plans, right? But in His sovereignty and His love, He uses us. He values us. He makes us a part of our, His plan, which just blows my mind. Why would He want to use us, right? You've seen us. <laughs> if God was not self-sufficient or independent, and if He needed us, hear this, He would not be worthy of worship. He would not be worthy of worship. But he doesn't need us, and he is fully self-sufficient. True biblical worship is due to God, not because he needs us, but because we need him. But last thing we're going to look at today. God is unchangeable. God is unchangeable. Uh, another way of saying this is, is uh, the immutability of God. The immutability of God. I-M-M-U-T-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. Psalm 102 says this, But you are the same, and your years have no end. Love this quote here from John Gill. Mutability belongs to creatures. Immutability to God only. Creatures change, but He does not. The heavens and the earth which He has made are not always the same. But He is the same forever and ever. That is, listen, we live in a world where things change every single day, don't they? The news, the directions, the this, it changes every single day. But our God does not change. He does not change. Our God is unchangeable, but not in every way that we might think. Instead, He is unchangeable only in the ways that Scripture tells us He is unchangeable. God is unchangeable in His being in his attributes, his purposes, and his promises. He is unchanging in those ways from what Scripture tells us. Malachi 3, 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. See, our beings, our attributes, they change. But God stays the same forever. His purposes, His promises do not change. Psalm 33, 11 says this, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. His plans will not change, and His promises will come to pass. His promises will come to pass. Now, there are places in Scripture where we, it seems to almost contradict this idea that God is unchangeable. Exodus 32 with Moses and God going back and forth about God showing his wrath to his people. Or Jonah 3 where God did not punish Nineveh as he promised once the people repented. But these instances should be understood as true expressions of God's present attitude or intention related to the specific situation. Listen, as a situation changes, God's attitude or his expression of an intention will change as well. God's unchangeableness does not mean he will not act nor feel differently in response to different situations. For he would hardly be good or just if he did not respond differently to sin than to repentance and righteousness. 
as we talk today, as I, I'm studying for this, I, I don't know if I can find, and, and I'm sure I can as we go through this next few weeks, what peace, what peace we, more we could find to my heart than to realize that our God never differs from himself. And it's that phrase, his steadfast love. Because for me, if there is one thing I, I, that I, I mourn for myself is my lack of faithfulness and steadfastness. I'll react to my kids uh, a positive way today and a negative way tomorrow. But our Father in heaven is unchangeable. He does not rise and fall on the news. He is unchangeable. He is always receptive to, to misery and to need, as, to well, as well as to love and faith. He doesn't keep office hours nor set aside periods when he will see no one. He doesn't change his mind about anything. Even at this moment, he feels towards his creation, towards his babies here on earth, towards the sick, the fallen, the sinful, exactly as he did when he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for mankind. God never changes his mood. He doesn't need to cool off in his affections or lose enthusiasm. His attitude towards sin is now the same as it was when he drove out the sinful man from the garden. Our God does not change. But one thing about us as people is that we constantly change, especially our feelings towards others, right? Our disposition, our mood. Think about how much you change if you get one harsh word from a person. Your spouse, a friend, a kid, a co-worker. You could be like this. Man, God is good. Somebody's like, man, you did that all wrong, and you're, you're a different person at that point. How much we change, but how much our God doesn't change. Makes him big and makes us small. Uh, brings us back to our Tozer quote. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God determines how you will live. What comes to your mind when you think about God determines how you will live. It determines what we fear, determines how we love. Even this week for me, I, I kind of went through these five things in my own heart. So God is real, right? God is real. So here's the thing. I am not alone, and I have hope because God is real. Does that make sense? There's something bigger than me out there. God is real. God is knowable. So he's not just this God that sits way, way far away. He's knowable. It means I can have relationship with him. That means I can lean on him. He says, come to me all who labor, right? I can come to him. Even though he is different, even our Lord's Prayer, it's that, right? It's our Father. He's very noble. He's very close. Who art in heaven. He's very far away. Hallowed be your name. So he's, he is noble and he's close, but he is different. God is creator. So I said, I took these daily walks and I reflect. I just was in creation, right? I looked at the green grass and I was just kind of, worshiping at the creativity and the beauty of what our what our God did, right? God is self-sufficient. Listen, God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. And that is the most freeing thing in the world. But yet he includes me. 
it's freeing and it's loving how he uses us. And last, God is unchanging. I'm a mess who changes from day to day. But he is the rock who does not change. Amen? We have great, great hope when we set our mind on things above. We know who God is and we think on who God is. In my devotion this week, I read John 17. It says this. I'm sorry, in Psalm 17. It says here, As for me, I will behold your face. If we do not have clarity or the truth on what we're beholding, on what we meditate on, we're going to be lost and we're going to be hopeless. So we must commit to studying, learning, and meditating on who God is. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for our class today. Thank you for um, who you are. Lord, help us as we continue to learn and serve and discover who you are. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.